0: Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at ForwardMinistries.org. You know, a little testimony like that myself a few years ago when we first got into this building. You know, it's funny how we. We get a desire on our heart that we believe is from God, and then we feel like we've got to work so hard to get what we need for it to happen. And it's like he's standing there going, No, I, I, I want to bless you. I desire to bless you so you can be a blessing to others. I don't think he's standing there waiting for us to get it right to bless us. He's already given us Christ. He's already given us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, and heaven is in me. Amen? Amen. More than enough, abundantly above all that we can ask or think. It's us removing those heartstrings of fear, I think, is the issue. We limit God. Our goal should be stop limiting God rather than how do I get God to bless me. You know what I mean? In other words, instead of trying to figure out how to get something from him, it's realizing he gave What more can he give than Jesus? See, we don't understand that Jesus is like a seed. He is the kingdom. The kingdom is in him. As Jesus is planted in your heart and you trust him and become confident in him, he becomes into this world whatever it is that God wants to bless into your life. In other words, he is your righteousness, You need to to quit struggling with sin? Jesus is your grace. In other words, the power to not even desire that stuff anymore. It's like whatever you need to experience in this life to have what God wants you to have, Jesus in His spiritual life becomes that for you. He is our wisdom, He is our sanctification, He is our redemption, He is everything. You understand? He is in spirit within you in fullness. And as you are living this life, if you need50,000 dollars to build a actually, it's 10 something thousand dollars, but you need however much you need to help people, why? We shouldn't have to feel like we've got to strive and work and figure out how to make that happen. Man, we represent God. We represent God. But as far as this building, I remember there was one day, and we were in here, and we were getting it set up. And first, I don't even remember. We hadn't been in here very long. And it was this is our first permanent location. We've knocked some walls out already, and these are going to go soon. And uh, I remember leaving and um, thinking, God, thank you for this building. Thank you for this building. And I very clearly felt this impression from him. No, thank you for preaching the gospel of my son. The building is my part. Wow. Now, I don't want to build doctrine on personal revelation like that, but, but I believe it's scripturally true that where you're called, God already wants to equip you. And has, like she said, I, I, that's a beautiful picture. The, his storehouses are full. Amen. If you're following him and you're walking and you're trusting him, it's like you just, you just go, and as you go, he meets those needs. Like the lepers that Jesus prayed for, as they went, they were healed. Amen. You know, we, we, we question the character of God and sit inactive rather than moving, not realizing that when you move, you will find the grace that you need. To experience that provision, that change, that transformation, whatever it is, it's not like it's a test that he's sitting there going, "Okay, oh look, they take a step. Now let me give them some more." No, it's like it's just it's there, it's readily available. You have to participate and move. Amen. Say move. move. And, and this is this is what's on my heart. You know, this is I've got this idea, and I don't have a very specific thing other than just this idea that we, as the body of Christ, represent God. We're his ambassadors. We are here empowered by his spirit, supplied with enough grace to do whatever we need to do, given the acceptance that Christ has with the Father already so we don't have to question and worry about that stuff so we can live in a nurturing, encouraging relationship with the Father so that we can walk in love toward one another and make a difference in the world. I mean, it's really pretty simple. But Christianity has kind of fallen into this thing of pointing out wrongs and pointing out where you've missed it and pointing out what you have to do to please God. you got to live pleasing to the Lord. And it's like I would never say you shouldn't live in a way that's, Pleasing. Did I make that make sense? Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? It's like it's interesting how when you focus on good news, you focus on love, you focus on joy and peace and acceptance that people think that you're not closing the back door to sin. You know what I mean? It's like I don't have a back door. Grace covers everything. Amen? <clears throat> Amen? Amen. It really, here's the problem. People misunderstand mercy and grace. Mercy is what you need after you sin. Grace is available before you choose sin, so you don't choose that sin. And eventually, the influence of his spirit will transform you to the degree that you don't even want that sin anymore. That's the goal that we live in this righteousness that we've been given. Where life is not a struggle. You're not fighting against worry and fear all the time. You've just let yourself be so influenced by God. You don't question if he's your provider. You don't question if he's angry with you if you miss it. You're safe in him. People grow best and mature quicker in an environment of encouragement. Think about it. Those of you that have kids, those of you that are teachers, those of you that are bosses or in some way have influence over people, people respond better in encouragement. Absolutely, you correct people. Absolutely, you don't compromise truth. Never. We never water down the Word of God. We never, you know, bend God's expectations. But people will only live in those. In in an environment of encouragement, not only, but better, you know? So I'm just always going to build this place up, you know, in in your identity, knowing who you are, because what it does is it desires, it puts a desire within you to choose grace, to choose righteousness, to choose holiness. Amen? Mm -hmm. I hope that's the fruit that you're experiencing. I, I hear that consistently. But the even bigger picture is, yes, we want it so that we personally grow, so that we personally transform. We personally experience the relationship with God. We personally experience the blessing that he has. You, I'm telling you, if you've ever had a, a, a serious sin issue where it's like, it's just something that nags and nags and nags, and you got to the place where you're like, I guess I'm just going to deal with this for the rest of my life, and you learn how to manage it, That's what a lot of preaching is, is sin management. But when you really get transformation, you become transformed to the degree that it's not even on your radar, the freedom that that does, it's it's a big deal. And what that does is it it creates a confidence within you, in God, not in yourself, because you know what you used to be like, but in that transformative power of His Spirit to touch you and change you. That, that, you will choose that quicker in an environment of encouragement, in an environment where we're focusing on what Jesus did. Amen. You know, you go back and you look in the book of Acts. Early on, Peter and the boys are out preaching the gospel. They heal this guy. The chief priest didn't like it, so they go arrest them, and they question them. How are you doing this? What authority? What power are you using to do this? And he says, y'all remember that guy y'all killed? Jesus? His blood's on your hands, but it's his authority that we're doing this in. He said, it's his name that we're doing this in. See, Peter knew that he was just representing God. You know, it's strange where the body of Christ has come to and and parsed out, and and I'm kind of going to move the pieces around here for a minute, and then I'll, I'll bring it all together with these couple of passages But what we do to each other in the body of Christ in the name of what we all should be doing, in other words, like looking at people saying, well, they're not as anointed as I am, or they're not as spiritual because they don't have miracles in their ministry, or they're not spirit-filled because they're not praying in tongues. Well, I'll tell you what, every believer is as full of God as any other believer. Every believer is filled with the Spirit of God in fullness. It's just to the degree that that individual has confidence in God, that's what causes the difference, different levels of experience. It's a heart issue. Confidence is a matter of the heart. People that have more miracles in their ministry are more confident in that God is a miracle worker. You follow me? Mm -hmm. People that know how to receive financially from God have more money because they are confident in God as their provider. That's what it's about. Having, Having confidence in the character of God, taking your rightful place in his family, and then representing him is what it's about. My confidence is in him. Now, I pray that because I'm in him that I experience that divine nature it says that we have he's given us great and precious promises so that we'll be, we would be partakers of his divine nature. So that you'll represent him. Not just because God needs you to do a job, but because this world is broken, you get to personally experience righteousness, peace, and joy, but then we represent him. And this is what I this is the idea that I want us to. So I, I don't have a point that I want to teach you like how faith righteousness comes or how righteousness comes by faith. But, but I want to leave you with some thoughts in your mind today of what the body of Christ should be doing on this planet. See, it's interesting when we start thinking beyond ourselves. Like every January I do this uh, kind of course where it's about goal setting and, you know, taking steps toward the desire of your heart that are in line with the call of God on your life and and moving beyond your current circumstances in some areas. And it's interesting that some people, every time I do the course, some people go through an identity crisis. Because when you start thinking about doing something beyond your current state, people reevaluate and examine themselves. And and, and it's like freaky to think I could have success or be more effective beyond my current state of existence. Are you following me? And And so it's like, I want you to be so rooted and firm in your identity in Christ that when God says move, you have the confidence to move. That you're not saddled with debt. That you're not overburdened with worry. That you're not so sick and unhealthy that you don't feel good enough to follow him. Because we represent him. Let's put that 2 Corinthians 5.20 up. So again, just don't look for a specific point. Open your heart and your mind for just a minute and kind of let God build some thinking within you because this is where we're going. I've got a couple of other passages in Ephesians that I want to look at, but just keep your mind open here. So now then we are ambassadors. You guys know what an ambassador is. You know, an ambassador is someone who represents another country. You, are, you have the power behind you from that other country. If you're sent here to be an ambassador to France or whatever, you're subject to the laws of the U.S. while you're in France. I mean, it, it's like you are fully approved, recognized, and equipped with whatever it is that you need to do the job you've been sent to do from your homeland to do that job while you're in a foreign country. They don't send you over there without backing you up. You know, I think about like a police force, you know. If one, if an officer encounters a situation that's obviously too much to handle for one person, he calls for backup, man, and the whole force will show up if they need to. That's how an ambassador works. We have the representation of God behind us. We're just representatives. Because you are approved already in Christ. See, we're... Christians are so lost in trying to make God happy because we've got so much religion on us that we're chasing our tail, not realizing, okay, I'm good with him. That doesn't give me an excuse for sin. I've got this debt. God, you're my provider. Set me free from this so I can be free to follow you. God wants you free. He's trying to set you free in every area so you can be a blessing in this planet. Amen? So let's read the rest of this. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through you. How would your life be different if you were trying to express your Christianity knowing that, okay, as I wake up today and as I go to live my life, I have God backing me up. I have God empowering me, equipping me, and giving me the specific assignment that he wants me to walk out. I'm not trying to figure out how to get to him. I'm not trying to figure out how to get him to show up and do things for me. I'm I'm safe and secure in him. I'm just going to live and represent him. That might mean that you need to work on the management of your finances a little bit. Stick with me now. In order for you to properly represent him well you might need to work on those relationships a little bit because it's our love for one another that's a representative to the world that we are followers of Christ. But you don't do it from a place of guilt and condemnation. You do it from a place of, wow, you know, I, God, I, the world needs this. I see this need. I want to move toward the world in this area, God. And he wants you to, and he's equipping you. He, he's got your back. Amen. Just like Caitlin said, the storehouse is already full. As you go, there's more than enough there to supply. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Another translation says in Christ's stead or in Christ's place. You are here instead of Christ right now. That's what it's saying. You're not Christ. You're not going to become a God any of that nonsense. It's just that you have been given the authority of Jesus to represent God on this planet. Why would we think that he wouldn't back us up? He will. It's just our confidence level is robbed because we've got one foot in the old covenant. We've got one foot still back there messing, thinking that we're dead and struggling with sin and lack, and it's like, no, you only struggle with that stuff because you are not convinced of God's love for you in these other areas. I'm telling you, the more you let God love on you in these areas, the more you let him be your provider, you don't have to figure out how to get him to bless you. He's your your dad. He wants to. The only work that we are to do is renew our minds to believe the truth. The more convinced you are of the truth... (laughs) the more you will experience him. Not because he's sitting there waiting for you to perform, but you're your own worst enemy. We are the limiter. So let's go over to Ephesians 2, and I think we're starting in 13, and I'm just going to read it uh, from up here. So again, don't get stuck on a specific doctrinal point. I want us to kind of think in general terms, we represent God. He gave us one strategy to reach the world, and it's twofold. Believers love one another. The world will look at that and say, oh, those, those guys follow Jesus. It's evident. Look how they love one another. That should be the way the world sees us. Jesus said that. And then, because of our love for one another... And recognizing our oneness in Jesus and him in us and the Father in Christ and Christ in the Father and the Father in us, like he prays in John 17, because of our love for one another, can unite us in Jesus, and then we move toward the world and we represent God. The body of Christ, pull that down just for a second, the body of Christ can end racism. Nothing else can. The body of Christ can end the need for oppressive governments. The body of Christ can end the need for any humanistic government program. And if the body of Christ wakes up and everybody decides to follow God on the same day, it might even end the need for hospitals. Insurance. (laughs) All the carnal things that we are so consumed by. Mm -hmm. The Spirit of God is our provider. And then as we are experiencing those, we bless others. I mean, I said it last week. What if every believer on the planet woke up and the only thing they did tomorrow was what God led them to do? What would the earth look like? I mean, what would your life look like? What would your family look like? If everyone in your family, just think about it, your household, your grandkids, your cousins, your immediate family, what if everybody in your family tomorrow only did what God would lead them to do? What would change? <laughs> you know, so I know that's idealistic, But the point being, God is leading us, and it's up to us to realize I'm safe and secure in him. I just want to represent him well. Representing him well means you will choose daily the grace that you need to transform in every area. All right, so let's look at this. Uh, Let me see how far we're going. But now, now remember, we're talking about the body of Christ representing him on this planet and God's heart for us as a family. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. You know, there's, there's incredible truth bombs in the midst of this, but the bigger picture is the unity of the body. Because of these points, see, Jesus is our peace. That should lead us to unity within the body. Jesus is our redemption. That should lead us to unity within the body. In other words, because we share this common peace, Jesus, we share this common redemption, Jesus, I don't need to point out all your doctrinal errors because we are one. Let me affirm that first. Then let's deal with any error that we might spot. I mean, what if, we, what if churches, you know, there's... I've heard of churches that, that do this, <laughs> that distance themselves and label other churches and tell people don't visit those churches because of this. I wonder what would happen if those pastors would call the other pastors and say, hey, let's go have some lunch. I heard something, let's talk. You know, I mean, the family acting like a family. Come on. Brothers and sisters acting like brothers and sisters. If they're so concerned with truth, then do what the truth says and meet with the one that you think is an error. Hello. All right. Anyway. For he himself is our peace. So these points about Jesus lead us into collective unity. There's a bigger picture than being right and wrong, it's our connection in Him. Then we can deal with stuff. Who has made, now, just for a little bit of context here, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles becoming one and the fact that uh, we are, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, we're being built into the body of Christ. But I think this applies along denominational lines as well. So, He's broken down the middle wall of separation. This one says a little bit differently. Verse 14 in the ESV says that he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There's a lot of hostility in the body of Christ toward each other. Again, I'm not just trying to make doctrinal points. I want you to take ownership and responsibility for what he says the body of Christ is supposed to look like so that we can bring down this wall of hostility. Now, I'm praying for a revelation on what this looks like in God's eyes because the body of Christ in this community could be pretty powerful as it could be all over the planet. I don't mean we could go down to Cracker Barrel and have a pastoral breakfast together you know what I mean, and call that unity. Well, i tell you what, we are in unity with so-and-so church and -and so-and-so church and -and so-and-so church because all the pastors meet at Cracker Barrel every first Thursday. (laughs) Well, I'm glad for that. Breaking down that dividing wall of hostility, verse 15. Again, He's addressing what Jesus did to get to the point that we are being built together in Him. God sets the stage of this is what Jesus did, so because of those, put those things first, experience unity together. It's like in a marriage. You know, you have to strip away all the stuff sometimes and be like, okay, look. It's me and you. We're on the same team. We are one here. And and, and bring that connection back and then deal with whatever it is that you're taking your anger out on each other over. You know what I'm saying? All right, so having having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments. And that's a huge point. Jesus abolished the law of commandments in his flesh. Well, here you go, throwing out the law. No, putting it in proper perspective. Abolished in Jesus. Interesting, right? Contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two. Again, Jew and Gentile, but you could just, for what we're talking about, is easily put... Charismatic and Baptist, Catholic and Methodist, whatever, thus making peace. And then watch what happens, verse 16. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting death to the enmity. And then go down to verse 22 in him you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are being built together by however many churches are in this community. How many are in this community? Anybody know? 300 and something? Or is it 3,000 something? No, 3,000 in the Atlanta area, right? I know it's a lot. This is what's happening. There's one across the street. This is how I want to think about them personally because of what Jesus has done in both of us and what the world needs from both of us. Well, yeah, but they preach it. Well, we can deal with that. But first, Jesus. Ephesians 4. I, I, and I'm soapboxing today, you know what I mean? Like, I, wanna, I want you to think about these kinds of things. I'm not just teaching. I therefore, so this is uh, Paul continuing to talk here. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. Absolutely. God expects us to walk in a way that's pleasing to him, to walk in a way that's worthy Of what he's done through us with Christ. We would never compromise that. So he reaffirms that. You know, Paul was probably, Paul probably in this day would have been accused of being a hyper grace preacher. You know, it's like, here's what we want to do for people pull that down just for a second. We want to set people so free because people grow best in an encouraging, loving relationship when you trust God for people more than you trust you for people. We want to be so impactful in people's lives, and if they're dealing with an error or they're dealing with the sin or they're struggling with something, you can bring people to such a place of freedom that, in their, that their heart is revealed, and they, you bring them to the point where they almost think that you're saying it's okay to continue doing that destructive thing that you're doing. In other words, you want to make them so realize they are so loved and accepted in God that if they didn't choose to change, that would be okay because God loves them so much. But that kind of love should inspire the desire to change. It's like you take your hands of control off of people so much that they come to this decision point of, wow, God is amazing. Now I want to protect this righteousness that he's given to me. Do you know? Ephesians 4.1, still talking about the body of Christ representing him. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, that's New King James. Let me read it out of here. A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. I mean, the body is like, I can't love you until I've pointed out to you where you're wrong. And if you then admit that you're wrong, then I can love you because... I answer to God. I'm going to stand before the Father, and if I have approved of you, you know, I mean, all this weird stuff that we do within the body of Christ. See, we need to bring the things in of how we treat sinners into the body. It's like we preach to sinners, hey, God loves you. God died for you. Be reconciled to God. It's like we paint a beautiful picture of what salvation is. Why can't we do that for fellow believers as well? Why can't we unite in Christ first? And again, take this upon yourself. Open your heart and mind to the Lord so that he shows you, okay, this is how you can represent me. Amen? All right, so verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I don't know that I see the eagerness within the body of Christ to maintain the, bond, the the unity and the spirit and the bond of peace. Again, I don't want a church bash. I, I kind of feel like it's, a, it's just a call for the church to grow up a little bit. And this is possible. It's pretty simple. You put what Jesus did first and you, and you work to keep that peace, knowing the unity, right? You walk into another church, it shouldn't be looking around where, do they, where are they right? Where are they wrong? It should be all... I am with my family. Amen. Yes, we might say things differently. We might do things differently. I think they might be wrong there, but I'll deal with that later. You know what I mean? All right. You know what I'm saying? I don't know why I get this. What is that? Copy, you got to help me out with the movie line. You I'm saying? Verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, Just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Meaning the ones that are in Christ. It's not some universalism passage. People will take this and translate it to, well, he's talking about all people. No, he's talking about people in the body. Verse 7, let me just address this. To each one of us, grace. I, I actually, I like this translation here because it says uh, gifts in some places, but the word gift is the word grace or charis. Same, same thing. Like when it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, those are graces of the Spirit. In other words, abilities of the Spirit. Not your ability that you don't have, but it's the Spirit's ability And if he wants to work it through you, he will. And if he wants to work it through you, he will. You both have the same spirit. Therefore, you have the same capacity to walk in the same gift. Now, God might call you to be an apostle and you to be a teacher and you to be a prophet, but those are offices of administration. Those aren't gifts. Never once does it refer to it as an apostolic anointing. There's one anointing that's Christ in you an apostle or an evangelist, everybody's called to do the work of an evangelist. Everyone has the potential to be an apostle. But God might specifically call you to function as an apostle within the body. That doesn't mean you have something that someone else doesn't have. It's how God is organizing his body. It's one spirit, one God in all. We're not separate. I went to this meeting one time. I'm just going, I and mean, I'm not trying to create division. I just want to tear down mindsets. This guy, I was with my friends who were doing the worship. Didn't know who the speaker was. Got got up and spoke. I didn't, I didn't even know the guy. Still don't. But he got up there and he was he was very sincere in what he was saying. He said he had invested thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours to travel the world and go to different conferences and and expensive uh, impartation services to meet and receive the anointing of all these great ministers from all over the world. And he named this big old list of people that he'd been to to get them to lay hands on him. And he said, so I have worked for this anointing that I have. But through impartation, today I'm willing to lay hands on you and give it to you. Like, where's the door? Yes. Now, I would love to sit down and talk to that brother and unite in Christ, but then we've got to get to that point too. We gotta, we'd have to deal with that. See, that kind of thought process creates such a division and control within the body. Don't let yourself fall for that kind of stuff. That's snake oil type stuff. I'm telling you. And and it's prevalent all over the body of Christ. Verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So when God is looking at you and he's trying to determine what... Capacity of gift to give to you. He looks at Jesus, and that's the measurement, and then he gives you that. He's not looking at you and saying, you have been more faithful here. You get more anointing for miracles. You get more anointing for money. You get No, the measure that God is measuring out is Christ's gift. Verse 8. Interesting that he ties this together. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. He led a host of captives. In other words, when he resurrected from the grave, he emptied uh, Abraham's bosom or paradise of the dead righteous. Um, That's kind of a complicated thing. But then it says in verse 9, in saying he, he ascended... What does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? This is, it's the same idea that the exchange took place. In the lower regions of the earth, and I've got a whole separate teaching. In fact, I'm working on a book that addresses this. But it's talking about him passing through Hades, not hell, the lake of fire, which is after the resurrection or at the resurrection, but passing into the grave, going where the wicked dead go or went before the cross. Jesus went into that place. The lower parts of the earth is the same word as Hades. I'm not saying it's the same Greek word, but it's the same way to say it because he exchanged everything. He conquered everything so that we could rest in his victory. So verse 10, and we'll we'll finish this idea of unity that... He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's what this is for. That's why we are to function in our gifts, so that we build up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. It's like the church is focused on that stuff. We've got to make sure we don't have those cunning preachers out there. It's like, No, let's just focus on building people up so they spot that stuff for themselves. Rather, this is where we are, and again, we're talking about how we represent God to each other and to the world. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. There it is right there. I got scripture for it. Grow up. Into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, that it builds itself up in love. And he ends with the idea of unity, of building each other up in love. Now, let me just make one point, because there is kind of this a popular teaching. And again, it's like, Yes, we want to put Christ first, but we also deal with things that create separation in the body. There's a teaching that says that the apostles and the prophets working in their right position is for the perfecting of the saints, and the word perfect there is misused. It says, so there's an idea that says Jesus is coming back for a spotless bride. Okay, I'll say that. One question would be, how does the bride get spotless? We know it's through the blood of Christ, okay? So there's a teaching that says that Jesus is coming back for a spotless bride, scriptural. Then it says Jesus is not coming back until the bride is spotless. Got a problem with that. So that's a mistranslation of Colossians, and then it marries it over here for the perfect. The, the apostles working the right way for the perfecting of the saints. And it ties perfecting to making one spotless. So here's, the, here's the, the erroneous path. Jesus is coming back for a spotless bride. He's not coming back until the bride is spotless. The five-fold ministry is for the perfecting of the saints. So therefore, it is the apostle's job to perfect you so that he presents you to Jesus and Jesus can come back. Now... Some of y'all follow some teachers that believe that. They don't make it as clear, but that's what's being said. No man perfects you as far as makes you holy or blameless or spotless before the Father. The perfecting that we do for each other is growing each other up, maturing one another up. You don't get any holiness or proper spiritual state of existence by getting under the right apostle. Amen? Amen. Amen. Just so you know that. You've got Christ in you. Your you. That's your anointing. So, again, I know we, we went really long and the, there was a lot said, but, but I, just, I just want to challenge us as this particular body to realize we represent God. Our love for one another shows the world we follow Him. As we are united in Him, the world will believe that God sent Jesus. But when we are dealing with brothers and sisters in Christ, let's put Jesus first. Let's find that common ground. Let's find that connection and then move from there. Amen? I mean, we can do that in our relationships, in our marriages, with our kids, at work, whatever. Find that common ground and move. Because the world out there is tired of seeing a condemning, splintered church. It ain't working. We're creating more division. And I think he wants us to be built up in love. Amen? Amen? So I don't have a point to bring it down to, but just those ideas. So ask yourself this throughout this week. How can you... Unite in love with other brother, brothers and sisters, knowing that we represent God. Doesn't mean you approve of questionable lifestyles. It doesn't mean any of that kind of stuff. It just means I'm going to start with Jesus and then we'll go from there. Amen? Father, thank you for your spirit. In this moment, right now, we ask you to give us revelation on what it means to be built up into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. We we ask you to give us a a picture or just a desire within ourselves of how we can walk out that unity that you have for the body. God, we want to be conduits of your power that is knitting the body of Christ, that is building your body in this planet. We trust you and we thank you for your spirit. Amen. Amen.